Hello, and welcome to a bonus episode of Time to Say Goodbye. It's Friday, March 19th, and we're here today to mourn the deaths of eight people earlier this week in Atlanta, workers and customers at three massage parlors. I'll name the people that we know of quickly. At Young's Asian Massage, there was Delena Ashley Yan, Paul Andre Michaels, Xiaoji Tan, and Daoya Feng. At Gold Spa, there was Hyunjung Grant, and there are three other people whose identities have not yet been confirmed. We have a special guest with us to process all of what's happened. Um, our special guest is Yves Tang Nguyen of Red Canary Song, a New York-based grassroots coalition of Chinese massage parlor workers with sister organizations in Toronto, Seattle, Paris, and Hong Kong. Red Canary Song was founded as a support and fundraising project for the family of Yang Song, a massage worker in Flushing, New York, who was killed in a police raid in November of 2017. Last night, our special guest Eves moderated a very moving online vigil organized by Red Canary Song and featuring Butterfly Migrant Workers Center in Toronto, the Massage Parlor Outreach Project in Seattle, and the Atlanta branch of the National Asian Pacific American Women's Forum, among other groups. Eves, welcome to our show and thank you so much for joining us during this really difficult week. Hi, thank you for having me. Maybe you could start just by explaining your role in, in Red Canary Song and how you got involved with the group. Sure. So I am an organizer um, that encompasses a lot of things, but we don't really have designated roles um, in the collective. And then as for how I got involved, um, I mean, I myself am a sex worker. And so partially, right, you feel moved to do the work um, after things like this happen and you want to help your own community and be able to do that. So that's like partially how I got started. And then you're probably familiar with our co-founder and former organizer, Kai Zen, who was also a speaker last night at our vigil. Um, got connected to Kai, as many people do, because she's been in the work for a really long time and, um, you know, was brought into the work. Um, and I had organized before this. I'm in a couple of other organizations as my organizing home as well and was then brought into the work to do this type of organizing. That's great. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where'd you, where did you grow up, um, your family's immigration history? Sure. So to first start, I'm Vietnamese and my parents are both immigrants from Vietnam. And I grew up in the DMV area and then I went to high school in Las Vegas, Nevada. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then you ended up in New York? Yes, I came to New York for college. Okay, great. Um, we were really touched can by. You, well, actually, yeah. Bef, bef, uh, I'm suggest, this is Jay here. The big, just to can you just tell? I think that many of our listeners might not know what Red Canary Song is or the the work that it does. Is there before we start? Can you just tell us a little bit about like just give us a synopsis of the organization, what it does? Of course. So Red Canary Song is a collective um, that works around helping Asian migrant massage and sex workers. And we mainly nowadays do mutual aid with massage workers in Flushing, Queens, and also do advocacy around decriminalizing sex work and sex workers' rights. Great. 
Um, sorry, yeah. Tammy, I didn't mean oh, to no, that's interrupt okay. there. It's just yeah, yeah no, I was going to ask. Um, and do you do you want to just say what that means, decriminalizing sex workers? Yeah. So um, I uh, I assume that you're familiar with um, like criminalization in general, and sex workers are criminalized for their work. Um, obviously, this issue is a bit larger and we'll probably get into it, but are criminalized for their work. So for example, like prostitution is a crime, right? Um, so you people get arrested for it. And we think that one, criminalization of any kind doesn't keep anybody safe, right? We think that the police don't keep people safe. So when we say decriminalization, we mean that we want people to not be criminalized for this work or for other forms of work and survival. Um, and we also advocate for the abolition of the police and the prison system. Great. Yeah, that would be great to get into a little bit later on. Um, can you talk about that, though, kind of in the context of massage parlors? Because I think there's been a lot of talk and maybe controversy around like the terminologies to use this week. Like, are these spas? Are they massage parlors? Is this sex work? Is this beauty work or body work? Um, what kind of work takes place in the industry that you're trying to organize? Yeah, so I did kind of explain a little bit that we split up our work a bit in talking about how we do mutual aid work and outreach work with massage workers and then also advocating for the decriminalization of sex work because not all massage businesses are like sex work based or engage in sex work and also some massage businesses some people might engage in sex work and some others might not right um but we don't actually think that like that's the issue of getting into like talking about it the reason why some people might use certain words instead of others right like i said massage businesses just now versus like massage parlors or salons um is because of like the history attached to it right there is like a sexualized connotation behind massage parlors which isn't to say that we don't use the word um but we at Red Canary have chosen to adopt saying massage businesses a little bit more because our community base prefers to talk about it in this way. But other people can talk about it in other ways. But partially, I think the controversy around it, specifically surrounding Georgia, is that when you're calling the victims sex workers, right? We don't know if they're sex workers. We don't know if they engage in sex workers. We also don't know if they self-identify as sex workers, right? Because even if they engage in what we technically consider sex work, they might not have identified with that term, which does happen a lot with a lot of massage workers or people who work in massage businesses. Mm. Yeah, I think... Um uh, Can you tell me, like, what is the sort of history of these of this industry, of the massage industry and its ties with with sex work. Um, I think it's something that, you know, people take for granted in a lot of ways where they might associate it, it you know, they might be like, oh yeah, of course these things exist. And of course there's all these harmful representations of it in the media that are dehumanizing. But like, can you, do you, can you tell us a little bit about the actual history of how these things began to exist? Um, you know, it doesn't have to be like a dissertation length, but, you know, quick, quick history. I mean, um, obviously complicated history, right? But one, 
Um, you know, these businesses have existed for as long as our like collective Asian and Asian American communities have existed, right? Like massage businesses also exist in Asia. And it's natural that these businesses would come over to the US and also partially kind of natural that some people might engage in sex work in them. Um, as that's also a part of our communities and a part of our history. And if you look at the history of our collective communities, so many people have been sex workers, have been sex trafficked, right? And this is kind of just the history of like our countries prior to, but also during like a multitude of like imperial wars that have occurred, right? And that also plays into the, the kind of perceptions that people take for granted or like just accept as truth because like, coming over to the US and having these sexualized and like racist gendered perceptions specifically around Asian women, Asian migrant women means that people are going to view these massage businesses in this way, regardless of whether or not they engage in, with it, because there's just so much history rooted in that, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, do you wanna just, also talk about, um, I mean, you kind of mentioned the various dimensions of the identity of the workers that, that are in these places. And um, I know that in the, the public statement that Red Canary's song put out after the murders, you guys were very careful to say this shouldn't ever be analyzed just as a race issue or, as, you know, a gender issue, but that obviously there's intersectionality and stuff. But I felt like your guys' analysis was even more kind of complicated and nuanced than that. Do you want to talk about the kind of overlapping class, gender, immigration status um, stuff that's going on and here with the workers? Sure. Um, well, we obviously think that they are subject to and other massage workers and other workers in general are subject to a very specific kind of racialized and gendered violence for being Asian women um, and also being Asian migrant women, which includes the like hatred of immigrants, of migrants. Um, and when you also attach this, there's just so much attached to it because obviously the like hatred towards low-wage working class people also comes into play here um and all of these things kind of coalesce or like come together and create a very specific type of violence that occurs at these intersections of identity and I don't think that we can separate any of those parts and also all of those parts like play into the history that I kind of touched on before mm -hmm. where regardless of whether or not they are certain things, right? Of whether or not these women are undocumented, whether or not they are migrants, um, whether or not they are sex workers, right? they're viewed in this way regardless, right? It, a lot of people have come out and talked about this um, in the past couple of days where they say, you know, like as an Asian woman, um, I get viewed as this or people like solicit me for sex work even though I don't engage in sex work, right? And that happens to like regular degular people in the street, let alone um, migrant Asian women who work in vulnerable low-wage jobs, right? And this doesn't just occur in massage businesses either. This also happens in our like mm -hmm. nail salons. This also happens in um, domestic for domestic workers and other service totally. workers who are Asian women. Mm 
Uh, um, how does uh, how, Andy? Sorry, yeah. Um, let me. Uh, how does how does the the migrant part of it is a part that I'm most interested in, or not most interested in, but something that I think that you know our listeners would not know a lot about, including you know, and like how does how does the immigration status and sort of you know I I don't know what the right turn is, but sort of like you know, recent how recently they came over to the United States, right? The sort of length of time that they've been in the United States. How, how does that factor into you know, to the risk that people are putting themselves in or, you know, like the sort of vulnerability that they that they might be at. Right. Um, I mean, so if you're an immigrant period, but especially if you're undocumented, right, we know the kinds of violence that people face for this. Like you're not only facing violence from the police, you're facing violence from ICE. Um, you know, you're facing possible deportation and you have a lot of ways, a lot of people are really afraid to seek out help or know where to go because you feel that if you turn to someone, then you're going to be found out and then deported, right? Um, which is a really particular kind of violence that people are subject to. And for migrants in particular, when we talk about um, migrants, it's like people who move to different places in order to work. Um, when we talk about migrant workers, right? So people are moving to wherever the work is and constantly moving, and this can be really dangerous and really difficult, right? Um, and people are subject to a lot of risk for doing this. Yeah, so what you're talking about really makes me think about you know, the story of Songyang, which you know, the, the, your organization says that you were really um, kind of pushed to action with the story of Songyang, who was a sex worker who was killed in 2017, right, as part of this police raid. Um, and I think we're getting at this question maybe that I was curious about, which is this language of you push for decriminalization as opposed to legalization. Um, and, and there's a distinction right. there in terms of you, don't, you, you feel like greater police presence is not going to help. Do you want to kind of explain and kind of what that distinction means for you all? Absolutely. So... We are against legalization because we believe that legalization only means more regulation, more policing, right? Um, and it also like entrenches all of these other problems, right? Entrenches like hierarchical structures within sex work itself, right? Which privileges like rich, white, documented folks who you know, can work freely and be able to run their business in the best way possible. We don't want that. We also don't want like regulations where workers have to get S regular STI testing and will somehow be blamed for things or said that they can't do the work or anything like that, right? That's what we think, well, not even just we think, we know happens with legalization because legalization models have occurred um, like especially overseas, but have also occurred here in the U.S., right? Like I'm, I was partially grew up in Nevada. There are parts of Nevada that have legal sex work and it's a problem there, right? Um, and so we want decriminalization because we want people to be able to make decisions for themselves in their own communities and not be policed for it, not be checked for it. We don't think that this is something that the government should be regulating. Um, well, can you can you talk about that about Yang Song and the and that what that moment meant you know to you personally, but also to this movement around um, sex work, especially Asian sex work, because it seems like it was a sort of watershed moment, and that a lot of the 
organizing that we've seen put into action this week might have, you know, had either an accelerating moment or, or even just been started at that point? Um, yeah, well, for us, we, as you know, we're, the, our organization came in reaction to Song Young's death. And mm-hmm. I think it's partially because of the NYPD's involvement in her death, or rather, like, mm-hmm. they murdered her. They killed her. And even prior to killing her, she was criminalized and was. Co- tr- they tried to coerce her into being an informant, which she didn't agree to, and was so, like, entrenched in this system that we often talk about, right, of the nonprofit industrial complex, of the rescue, the rescue system that so many people are involved in, where they say that they want to rescue or save these workers, but in actuality are only further criminalizing them, and then the violence from the police, um, where people are being taken advantage of in the first place, being exploited, but then also just like generally because the police are agents of white supremacy and are violent themselves. Um, like so much about what happened to Song Yong was really hard and also revealed so much about the system that's at play that I think a lot of people felt moved to do something, which we did, which initially Red Canary Song before we like became a collective and started organizing, it was because we wanted like the people who initially started Red Canary Song wanted to have a vigil. We wanted to honor her life and be able to mourn her death while also naming that the reason that she died is because of criminalization and because of a system that continuously harms so many um, black, indigenous, people of color, undocumented people. Can you back up a second and talk, like, I don't, when you say, like, you know, the, the nonprofit industrial complex or savior, savior narratives, right? Like, can you just explain what those are? Like, what, 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 what are people dealing with here from well-intentioned or, you know, what seem to be or what maybe the people who are doing it themselves would say are good, well-intentioned um, people? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people... Um, especially these, they're usually nonprofits, right? And they get money from the government. They work with the police. Um, that's kind of a part of it. That's kind of just a part of what that is um, because it's now a business for them, right? Um, whether or not they're well-intentioned, I think if you're asking me, I'm not a fan and I wouldn't say that they're well-intentioned, but like certainly some people might think that they are, but they have... I'm sorry, who is is they, though? Like, who who are the people? Yeah, so a lot of the, um, like, rescue savior types that we're talking about are usually anti-trafficking groups, but they're also also anti-sex work groups. Um, They, yeah, they are against sex work, which is what they mean by rescuing people, right? Um, They want to save people from sex work. And, of course, there are people who engage in sex work who don't want to do it, but there are also people who do want to do it. And certainly if the people don't want to do it and they want to leave, pushing them closer to the police and making them fit certain criteria and making them stop working immediately without actually helping them gain employment elsewhere certainly is not going to help them, which is exactly what happens. 
right? They work when I say that they work with the police, I literally mean that like in Young Song's um case, right? She was asked to work with the police, like was arrested and they say things like, "Oh, we're not going to send you to jail right now or this time if you work with us if you do what we want you to do so go to this org that's anti-trafficking and they're gonna help you right and then they tell you okay you have to stop doing sex work right now like if you get caught doing prostitution then we're gonna put you in jail and we're gonna put you in jail for longer the punishment is going to be even worse right so they're not helping people and that's a part of the problem because they think that we have to get rid of sex work, we have to eradicate it, that that is the issue. So mm-hmm. then a part of that is that they criminalize people and they think that it's a bad thing to be done. And we, as previously mentioned, we think that criminalization harms everyone, right? Yeah. Whether or not you're engaging in the sex work. A lot of these massage workers are assumed to be sex workers anyways. They will raid mm-hmm. massage businesses regardless of whether or not they engage in sex work and they will arrest people. It's already come out whether or not this is like actually the case. It's already come out that the people in Georgia, the victims in Georgia, some of them might not have been sex workers. And yet people view them as sex workers anyways and they are subject to violence because of it. Mm-hmm. How do we resolve that then? Because, you know, like, it seems like that's one of the tricky parts of this conversation, which is that, you know, like your, your, your organization, for example, you know, is discussed in the context of this because you represent sex workers and that, you know, there is an assumption and I, that, that some of the people in Georgia were sex workers. And yet we don't want to sort of say everyone who works in a massage parlor who is Asian is a sex worker at the same time. But then also, we don't want to like sort of close our eyes and just say, oh, none of the issues that you're bringing up that are so important apply to these people in Georgia because we don't want to assume things, right? Can you, like, h- how do we navigate that conversation? It's something that I've struggled with myself, you know, and I, I think all of us have, right? It's just like, well, what, what do we know and what can we say? And how do we like become advocates without, without just sort of either being like, oh, you know, it's head in the sand, let's not say anything, or, um, or, or sort of proactively labeling things that might not be true? Well, we think that because of sexist, racist, sexualized perceptions of Asian women, Asian migrant women in vulnerable low-wage work, like especially when we're talking about massage workers, that this criminalization of sex work, right, and the hatred of sex work in and of itself harms them so whether or not they are sex workers they were harmed by the criminalization of sex work by the criminalization of immigrants and so that's a part of it but we also want to note that i think that a lot of people who want to distance from like applying sex work to them in any way right which we have never come out to call them sex workers and people still say this, right? So many people in our comments being like, why do you assume that they're sex workers? We never did. But like the problem at the root of it is also that whenever people push back against it, I think it's because they think that sex work is something that's shameful. They think that if we say that they're sex workers, that they deserved the violence, that 
if we say that they're sex workers, that that person who killed them was somehow right because they are a sexual temptation. But that's not true, and they don't even have to be sex workers for people to view them in that way, as we know, right? As Asian women are seen as objects for desire regardless, like under white supremacy, like for years of history that have been built up to view women as objects of desire for like white men in particular. So like whether or not they were sex workers isn't really the thing, but it's like whether or not they're harmed from the criminalization and from the perceptions that come from it is a like what we think is important. But people constantly push back and don't <laughs> want to unpack and reckon with their own whorephobia. Yeah, because that, they deserve yeah, that, to live regardless. Yeah. Right. The distinction always does seem to be, or the protest seems to be like, well, you don't even know if they were sex uh-huh. workers, and maybe they weren't. They, maybe they weren't, you know. And so, and then, of course, that is a ranking of worthiness of life, you know. That is, that uh, you know, it seems to be totally at least somewhat disturbing in this. Um, and I think it's yeah. really ignorant in terms of the economics of immigrant life, of low wage working life, because, like in the organizing and solidarity spaces I've been in. There are very fine lines between going from restaurant work to sex work to nail salon work. And the way that you're perceived and treated in all of those spaces actually is quite similar, you know, and there is like so much opportunity to build connections between those folks. Um, could you talk about that from an organizing perspective? Because I think on the one hand, when workers are brought into that and they're, you know, through the work of education and organization, like we can all come to see our connections at the same time, because I think obviously there are sex work stigmas all over the world. We're also battling that of how do you get a restaurant worker or a nail salon worker who hasn't engaged in that to see that they have common cause with someone who's doing sex work? Um, I mean, I think that's really hard and we are not perfect at it either, right? We haven't like coalesced the community of New York City to like come to support massage workers and sex workers in the city. But like a part of that is recognizing just how similar people are and just also what this work means. And we think that all of these people, right, hold really important work and like these are spaces of care in the community. We've all often brought up that many of the, which is also why we like see problems with other models of dealing with sex work, because you know there are models that say that we should criminalize certain people, like clients or things like that. Many of the people mm-hmm. who go to um, a lot of these sex workers, right? The low, like low wage sex workers and sex workers who might work in massage businesses are a part of the community. They are also low wage workers. They are also mm. people who are probably immigrants. And there are so many similarities between them and they share so much, right? And it's hard to like get people to understand that, but partially it's just that like i don't know that it's always organizing people to be like oh you're similar but it's like this is your community right yeah and we're seeing people be like pushed out of the community because landlords want to close down these businesses Mm -hmm. and people 
are being left to fend for themselves. People become houseless and they don't have money and they don't have food. And it's simply like, we think that you should care, but we care for all workers regardless, right? We don't ask people to disclose that they do sex work. We don't ask people Mm -hmm. to do that. And we try to care for these workers regardless. And also for many of us, right? I mentioned this, I also organize in other circles and there are other organizers from Red Canary present and past who also organize other kinds of workers, right? Also organize nail salon workers, also organize Mm -hmm. like factory workers and other people like that who are also migrant workers, who are also Asian migrant workers, right? So I don't know fully that the organizing is trying to get people to see the similarities as much as it's just like, we are a community and we want people to be able to care and to take care of each other and also to recognize the contradictions that exist Mm -hmm. in what we would do otherwise, right? Because a lot of the people who would say, oh yeah, like we should criminalize these people. Yes, like it's a good thing that they raid these businesses are not fully seeing the like violence that is being put onto the community. Because that's our jerk reaction. And I also think that that's like a part of a larger question where a lot of people can't imagine a world where we don't criminalize people and can't imagine a world without police. How do, um, what, like these forms of violence that, that are, that are, that are, uh, sort of put upon these workers. Can you just, can you just talk a little bit about it? You know, obviously we have like a, horrific example of it right now but on a day-to-day basis right like when people say and i've seen a lot of it you know like this is there's this is a risky this is risky work it is work that puts you at you know exposes you to a lot of violence you know that like what what are people talking about like what what is that violence what does it look like how often does it take place and you know like how many people like what sort of yeah what sort of risks are there that people should be aware of right now Um, I mean, if you're, every, like, every type of work is a little bit different, um, and every place of work is a little bit different, um, and it happens differently for everybody, but when we're talking specifically about massage workers, right, Right. um, and especially massage workers who might engage in sex work, you are, I would say that they face violence on a near daily basis, and it comes from so many different areas, right? We, like, there is violence coming from the community. You see people in the community calling the police on their own community members, calling ICE on their own community members. You see landlords who claim to be from the community coming in and trying to close down these businesses in order to create new developments or to clean up the city. You also obviously see violence from the police, and we always talk about Song Yong's legacy um, in that, right? The violence, the police, and we also see violence from this like rescue industry and these complexes. You're also seeing violence sometimes from clients. And so there's so much violence around it and they, really all stem from the same places or the same things, right? It's all white supremacist violence. It's all 
like horphobic violence and it it all comes from this criminalization as well right and the stigma attached to it so there's so much violence but then when you're also talking about like other sex workers right to varying degrees depending on your privilege you're going to face similar types of violence so um well where do people go for support because you know the what the thing that the position that you're portraying is you know it it seems like you're sort of getting it from everywhere right like it's the landlords it's also the the people in your community who are just like this is wrong and this you know like we should put shut this down it's from some of the clients it's also from people who are you know who are coming in and saying we need to save all of you you know and maybe those are you know so um it seems like there is it's you know obviously a difficult life in terms of finding allies or finding people who'll just leave you alone like what where do people go for support um i mean hard question that's kind of why we partially exist right and why other organizations exist um so like so many orgs not just like uh, for massage workers but also like street workers also um for and so orgs that cover so many different areas right I, I think that ideally, right, you want the support to come from the community, which is partially the organizing work, right, mm -hmm. is to move other people to support you, to move people to do that work so that it's happening independent of just me because and or other people. Like there are only a handful of organizers who do the work um, anywhere. And I would be remiss in like not mentioning the other people who do the work even here in New York, right? Like there's only a handful of people who um, support black, trans, Latinx, sex workers. There are only a handful of people who do all of this, but we, we wish to extend it. And also, you know, obviously wanting to extend like social services within the hands of the community, right? To be able to have access to that. So that is ideally what we would want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, I mean, I think along those lines, and you were kind of getting at this earlier, I think a natural response for a lot of people would be something like we need more police presence to defend, especially in the, in the, in the, in the wake of an action like this. Uh, and uh, obviously a lot of the news stories about other attacks against um, Asian, Asian Americans, right, that we need more police presence to protect these people. Um, what do you say to that? Because you can you can imagine that that's kind of the natural response for a lot of people who haven't thought about it as much as you all have. Um, yeah, I mean, well, first, we understand that impulse, right? Um, we completely understand the impulse in the community to want more policing. But what we have to say about it is policing is violence itself. It's rooted in anti-blackness. And if you really look at the history, they have never kept people safe. They have never wanted to keep people safe. And it's it has never been effective. And I don't know that, like a lot of people will ask me, what do we do instead? What do we do instead of the police? And my answer to that is obviously we have things that we want to do, but the fact that they have never worked, the fact that they are violence themselves, the fact that they are anti-black, the fact that they are rooted in white supremacy 
is enough reason for them not to exist, whether or not we have a different solution, right? Um, and partially, I think when we're talking about the Asian, Asian American community, especially recently, pushing to have more police presence to defend us, I also think that that's rooted in anti-blackness, um, right? That partially comes from us, where it's saying, okay, like, please protect us. Obviously, we know it's they're not going to actually protect our community. But like, when we say that, I think that we're not acknowledging what that means. And that, that means that we're asking for more police and asking for more money to be given to the police that largely ends up killing our like black and indigenous like family and so i like that's what i feel about it yeah and there's also this like you know there's also a element in inside the communities right where you're also asking for protection from you know people who might engage in sex work or people who run you know places that engage in sex work when you bring the police in and so it ultimately is a call, like, protect us, obviously, from, you know, protect us from these people, protect us from these people. But then when they come in, it's like, also, you know, while you're at it, you know, like, you, you can you clean up this as well? It's, 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 uh, it seems to be a call almost exclusively to sort of protect a privileged class of I mean, I would probably say, what do you, what do people mean when they say protect? And what they really mean is, like, we want to erase people, we want to like like invisibilize them we want to make them go away right the prison system is a means of erasing people of removing people so that you don't have to acknowledge it anymore so that you can like not deal with it right so like the prison yeah. system which is eventually where people lead when you're criminalizing them, when you're calling in the police, right? It doesn't do away our problems and it doesn't change anything. It, it, it actually just takes away people. Hmm. What, as an abolitionist, what do you think justice looks like in, in this sort of circumstance with these murders? Um, you know, I think hate crimes charges, terrorism charges, these are all sorts of um, you know, structural kind of analytical tools that people have been putting forth. Um, what do we do with the shooter? What do, what do we want, you know, as abolitionists in response to violence against our community? I mean, there are a couple of things. I would push back on calling it, calling them terrorists or calling it a hate crime because that still buys into the idea that we're dealing with crimes or something that needs to be criminalized. And also, these are the same terms, the same terminology that one was used against us, right? Historically is used against people of color, is historically used against particularly black folks, and is going to be continued to use to be used against us, right? We can push and say, yeah, yeah, you should like make this a hate crime. This man should be considered a terrorist, but that only gives more legitimacy to this system, to that terminology that then gets turned back on us to be like, oh, yeah, if you do certain things, you're a terrorist. If you do certain things, that's a hate crime and you deserve to go to prison for it. And they're just going to turn it back on us. And um, the question of justice is really complicated, right? Because I think that justice looks different for different people and that the families and survivors 
of this attack might want specific things. As many people who have like experienced anti-Asian violence recently have wanted police presence, right? Like that's mm-hmm. just the truth. Yeah. But we push back against that to say that that is not going to solve the issue and that it's going to hurt more people. We can tell we can't tell you exactly like what justice is going to be or what justice looks yeah. like for everybody, but we certainly can tell you what does justice mean? Are you actually getting justice if people are still being harmed, right? If the people that you're most concerned with are still being harmed or the people you're still concerned with are still being killed and like these people we don't even know that this person is going to go to prison, right? Mm-hmm. For doing this. And even if they do, what does the punishment look like for someone who so wholly fits what it means to be like a white supremacist in this country, right? People are often let off for this because the system itself protects itself, right? It is white supremacy Mm. itself and it is made to protect white supremacists. So like... I can't say that that would be justice. I know that people really want to be like, oh, yeah, if we put them in prison, it'll be justice. But then are we also owning that every member of our community that we put in prison is also justice? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that it's like, what, can you just tell me that what's the response like with the sex workers that you talk to? You know, I mean, I, I imagine there's a lot of fear, but um, or or. You know, what, what have people been telling you just, you know, as or even what do you feel, you know, like what, or when you heard the news? Like, what was what was the reaction? I mean, so I I still feel really angry and sad and tired. Um, and I, I fear for people and we the immediate response is like, we're so sad, but we don't have time to grieve because now we have to move. We have to make sure our people are safe. We have to make sure our families are safe. We have to get people money. Some people, like immediately, some workers that we know were like, I'm leaving the city or like I'm leaving Flushing, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's obviously really hard and people are scared. Some like more privileged workers, you know, can express like that they're a little bit more sad, but a lot of people, are um, like really fearing for their lives and they're trying to survive. And I think that's the immediate reaction, which we are also having immediately. We were like, we want to be able to get people together. We want to be able to give people money. Um, And so that's a part of it. And it also is just, I don't know, it was very taxing. Um, the, The fact that violence against Asian women necessitates the labor of more Asian women um, and femmes. Yeah. <laughs> Where you, like, you know, I think that there's been something building, right, where there's attacks and we don't know, really know what to think of the attacks. and But there seems to be, and then it gets media coverage and it seemed like inevitably there's going to be some big incident. And I think we had the big incident. Did it surprise you that it that it took place, you know, in a in these massage parlors and in this industry and that the people targeted were were sort of, you know, were working class women? Um, You know, like, was that was that something that you might have expected? Does it surprise me? I mean, I am 
partially a little bit surprised by how much media attention and how like how much attention has been brought forth for a period right like partially a little bit surprised by that but am i surprised that like this like horrific instance of violence right where multiple people were killed happened in a massage business uh no i'm not i i mean like i mentioned before i think that this violence occurs on a near daily basis um it happens all the time literally like yesterday massage businesses were raided here in new york right yeah. and that it happens all the time and we so i'm not surprised that this like instance of violence occurred in a massage business i am partially surprised by the media coverage because i mean it's been going on for so long i don't know fully and i don't know that i have this i've gotten the space to be able to like break it down and figure out all of the parts as to why it like had to be this and why it had to be certain um acts of violence that have occurred but it it's just that we didn't necessarily expect that that like this would get so much attention and that we would get so much attention uh for this like when we saw it happen we were just like this is really sad let's post about it right like these are our well, sisters what do you what do you attribute to that too um cuz uh, i i uh, i found what? that to be interesting uh just i found it interesting too that you know in the wake of these uh tragedies now there's always some organization that is sort of put to the front and you know and i think this time it was your organization why do you think that happened right, right? like so for example like after the muslim ban um, it was ACLU, right? And so for this, it was your organization. Why? Why? Why do you? Th- were you surprised by that? Like it seems like you were like, I don't really, you know, like we're, I was like, well, I guess this is happening. But um, were you surprised? I by mean, it? we're surprised in that. I'm not surprised in that. Like I've sat and thought about it a little bit. Um, you know, we're probably the most well-known organization that does this work, and we're also the most well known on the east coast um of the united states right. so i think that is a part of it but partially surprised because i don't think that we ever anticipated that we would get this kind of attention and support um for our work and we've been doing it for so long and these are conversations that we're having which is a part of the frustration where it's like we've been doing it for so long we've been saying these things for so long and nobody paid attention but now we're getting hit up by like let me not name names but like now we're getting hit up <laughs> by all of these media organizations being like yeah we want to interview you can you talk about this can you do this and we're like where were you before these people died where were you some years ago where were you any time different like acts of violence occurred to our community um so partially surprised by that because I think for us we never um like imagined that we would get this kind of attention we kind of just assumed that we would like quietly do the work and the people who knew us would you know know us and 
it all I mean I, I think it also surprises the community a little bit in that like a lot of people who I've talked to were like yeah when I saw it popping off you you're in our group chats you're in like our we chats our international chats <laughs> and like we don't even know how do these people know who you are, right? Like you're just like this Oregon, New York City. And so partially there's like surprise there, but you know, in sitting and thinking about it, I think it makes sense that we got a lot of like attention immediately because we're a really well-known org that does work with migrant massage workers. Um, you know, this is not to say that anybody is being opportunistic or anything like that. But, you know, now that the, you know, it, it would be, I think, a shame for this moment to pass and for nothing to change. Right. And for people to just mourn the deaths and, and then completely replicate all the conditions that led to these vulnerabilities. So, like, if you were going to say, like, let's say, like, three things or two things, whatever number you want that you feel like people should take away from this moment or, you know, things that you wish that people knew that would help protect these women better? Like, what, what, what would those be now that... I think um, that yeah. you people should, you know, see the demands that are being made by Asian massage workers and uplift those demands. I think that if now... I do think that some things have changed. I don't, like, I don't actually think that we're going to leave this having no change. I think that already there is a change, right? Um, but I think that people should uplift the demands and needs of Asian massage workers, right? Which we published some in our statement. And we also think that you should build. If this moment moves you, you should find someone in your area who's doing this work or any work that's like in relation, right? And you should organize with them. You should build with them. And if it doesn't exist, you should build it. Um, and also, you should care for your community, right? You can't just donate money, like donate a lot of money at one time and then wash your hands of it. It, if, if that's the way that you're going to do it, if you're donating money is the way that you're going to support people, then you need to do it all the time. And not even just donating money, like doing mutual aid, like go send your neighbor, your local sex worker, your local massage worker some money and like take care of people in your community because that's the only way that we're going to free ourselves, right? Um like we have to take care of each other. We have to step in. We have to stop calling the police. Stop calling the police on your neighbors and <laughs> like give those people money. Take care of them. I have a quick question. But yeah, um, yeah. Oh, sorry, Eves. Um, you you had mentioned um, or made reference to kind of this year of anti-Asian violence, and I think part of the media response, to my mind, is that people have you know even just before the murders i think that there had been kind of this tipping point where people were just had reached a point of kind of maximum frustration around this um do you see these murders as part of a continuum of anti-asian violence that we've been talking about for the past year i mean beyond the past year but um, i mean i yeah i guess in this disc you know because that's kind of the moment people have been talking about with like the pandemic and trump and all this stuff so in that kind of contained discourse um although of course it's not I, historically accurate 
Oh, I mean, like, I think that it obviously is. I think that so many parts play into it, right? Well, you asked me if I thought I was surprised. I mean, I think that with everything that's happened, right, um, we the Asian and Asian American community was bound to get more attention because people in general, right, whether you're like a white liberal or whatever, you were bound to push back against Trump for his like anti-Asian racist rhetoric. And so they're going to be like, oh, this is not true. And you're going to get more attention anyways. And then with like so much violence has come out of that racist rhetoric and governmental neglect of people in our communities. Like, I I do see it as, like, completely connected, but I obviously think it's just connected in general because the violence has always been there. There's always been violence on Asian and Asian American communities. There has always been anti-Asian violence that has occurred every day. And I said that, like, anything that you could think of, the violence that we're seeing now has been happening to Asian migrant massage workers forever. Like, has been occurring, and people just didn't listen. Mm -hmm. People just didn't, we didn't have the attention, right? There, there are instances that I can think of consistently where different community members have been arrested by ICE, but people didn't say anything then, but they're saying yeah. something now, yeah. right? Um, so I just partially, I think it's all connected, like, larger. But of course, I think it's mm -hmm. connected to, like, this past year. Okay. Um, Andy, do you have questions? Yeah, I mean, yeah. just listening to you talk just now, I, I think... The point you made is really important that, you know, a lot of people are going to blame, you know, Trump and the rhetoric around that. But you're, it seems like you're saying it's also probably more so like a, a legal system, the economic system, the sort of physical or material conditions that are, that are um, pushing people into these very vulnerable positions. And, you know, do you feel like almost the Trump thing is almost like a distraction that people get fixated on? these headlines oh, absolutely <laughs> so, so so then if absolutely so, yeah I, what, what would you say is the most important or what, what, what should people focus on instead i mean there's so much conversation around the history of it all right but we have to recognize the contradictions this is also why we pushed back on collapsing these women's identities when we're talking about this like awful tragedy in Georgia because mm. people want to say oh this is an this is anti-Asian violence which it is right or they want to be like this is sexist or this is like yeah. fetishization it's all of those things it's all of those things and when you connect those things you realize that it's all connected to the U.S. empire it's all connected to the white supremacy that the United States is built upon right and to reveal those contradictions. I think a lot of people, especially white people, right, want to think, oh, like like liberal people want to believe that it's not built into what this country is, that it's not built into the police system and like all of these things, but it it definitely is. And they want to collapse it and say, if we get rid of this one politician, 
oh, we've got it. We've solved it. We've solved it and it's over (laughs) with. But like Biden is just as racist as Trump is, right? Just as as racist. And I'm not, I would like, I want to say like less blatant, but he's just as blatant, just like in a different way. He just like uses better language, right? Um, So yeah, people like really want to be done with it, which is the same thing that I was saying was like, they want to erase people. They want to get rid of people. Instead of dealing with the problem, they just want to get rid of people as to not face it. And also because white supremacy protects itself, right? So our government, our police, and all of these things want to protect themselves. So they want to erase these problems and say, oh, we've solved it. We've put this one person in prison. It's done. It does. There does seem to be something pernicious about the reports that link it to Trump saying like the Wuhan flu or the Kung flu or something like that, as if like that created all these conditions and, you know, these sort of centuries of fetishization and misogyny and, you know, and then being like, well, as long as we don't say that and as long as this guy's in jail, then everything's fine. It is <laughs> it is an erase. It is a move to erase the people who are actually the victims. Right. And oh, and to absolutely. say, well, we don't have to ever think about them again. Thank God our president doesn't say, you know kung flu anymore it's that and it's also that like people want to say that that is the problem that that is the root but really it is a symptom right like trump's rhetoric and people saying this and doing this is a symptom of things that have existed for such a long time um but people want to say that it's the problem because then they can be like oh if we get rid of them it's it's good which is partially what I fear. Like, I think that, um, you know, that people might, like, stop caring and think that we've solved it until the next awful thing happens. And when you ask me about what I would tell people to take away from it, I partially am like, I want us to stop building and organizing in reaction to when people die. I want us to organize to keep people alive. I want you to care when people are still alive, not when we've lost so many people and then we have to grieve and mourn. Hmm. Thank you so much, Eves. I think that's such a beautiful note to end on, um, to care about the living. And We'll put information about Red Canary Song and the sister organizations that appeared at last night's vigil in our show notes. Um, Eves, is there anything else you, you just want to add or promote before we end the show? Um, no, not really. I mean, um, I hope you all support our like comrade organizations um, in New York and otherwise. All of the other organizations that are doing this work, which you talked about some, like Butterfly in Toronto and Swan, Vancouver, um, and the Massage um, Parlor Outreach Project, and um, other people who are doing this work, and also, you know, supporting other groups as well, not just like Asian, Asian American groups. Um, Like, there are so many people, like, even just in, in New York, right? Black Trans Nation and Make the Road, so many people who are doing this work who really need the support um, all the time, always. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no, thank no, you. No, thank you so much. It was really a um, treat. Okay, 
Um, Eves, can you stop your local recording?